0: Uh, So this morning, as I was uh, asking the Lord what uh, he would have me share with you, uh, he led me to Psalm 131. And so I'm going to read it for you. It's a short psalm. It's part of the Song of Essence. Uh, I'm reading Psalm 131. I'm reading from the NET. Uh, It says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. Indeed, I'm composed and quiet, like a young child carried by its mother. I'm content like the young child I carry. O Israel, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Let me read that one more time, and I'm going to read it this time from the message. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Uh, hope now, hope always. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, As we know, the Song of Ascents were psalms that were songs that were sung uh, by the pilgrims every year as they went up to Jerusalem, as they gathered from all across, as they climbed up the hill towards Jerusalem, uh, you know, in difficult times and weather. They were worried about uh, attacks, bandits, and it was an annual pilgrimage. In fact, two or three times a year they had to do it. And those songs mirror our pilgrimage as well, right? Because we also on that journey and we look forward to the day when we will arrive in that Jerusalem and we will uh, be able to worship God uh, in face to face. But till then, like these, uh, the ones who sang these songs, uh, we too are on that journey. And Psalm 131 is uh, one of those songs, but it's a song uh, of a, uh, Reminds us that our faith needs constant maintenance. Even while we're on the pilgrimage, as it were, we need uh, to look at ourselves. We need uh, maintenance, like a car that needs a tune up. Uh, just in front of our house is a garden. And I noticed that all the trees, suddenly I noticed yesterday that all the trees seem to have disappeared, but they haven't really disappeared. They've been pruned ahead of the monsoon. And a lot of branches have been cut, and it looks like what a waste. And I'm not green thumb, but I uh, do know the fact that we need to prune if we have to have further growth. And that's something I'm sure each of us sometimes struggles in our life when God brings in that pruning process. But he tells us that it is because so that you will have more fruit and fruit that lasts. And so the gardener in this garden has cut a lot of stuff away because when the rains come that there would be better foliage and it would grow better. And Psalm 131 is like that. It's a functional psalm. It's a pruning psalm for us. It helps us get rid of stuff uh, that can gradually accumulate along the way. And the two things that Psalm 131 prunes away are these. One is an unruly ambition, and the second is an infant-like dependency. One is getting too big for our boots. The other is refusing, as it were, to cut the apron strings. And both of these tendencies can actually sometimes be seen as virtues, especially when we look at it from a worldly perspective. And we can actually end up encouraging the very things that can actually hurt us. And so that's why we need this time. We need this time of pruning. And Psalm 131, if we allow the Lord's spirit to work in us today, I trust that he will do that work among us. So the first thing that the Psalmist says God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've kept cultivated a quiet heart. These lines are very difficult to understand or comprehend. Not difficult to understand conceptually, but to grasp it in terms of it. Because all cultures throw uh, challenges to the Christian life, right? From the beginning. And sometimes we think, oh, it would have been easier to be a Christian in another time and place. No, each culture has its own issues and each time has thrown up its own challenges. But in our culture today, perhaps this, is, this particular issue becomes difficult because today ambition is something that is promoted. It's something that's encouraged. Uh, it's part of our very culture itself. And... This can actually be a roadblock because today we live in a world that encourages and rewards ambition without qualification, I, especially in the marketplace. I was listening to a talk by Simon Senek a week or so back, and he said, you know, the difference between the army and the marketplace, because in the army, you're rewarded for putting your colleague before yourself. In the marketplace, we're rewarded for putting ourselves before our colleagues right we get a bonus because we did better than the others in the marines they get a reward because they gave their life for their colleague and that's the difference of the dynamic over there that's what builds trust but in our, the world that we live in everyone wants to get more we want to be on top and to be on top is to be admired and there's nothing uh you know this is nothing new right this goes right back to the garden it's what got Adam thrown out of the garden, and what Lucifer got thrown out of heaven for. But today, what is perhaps different is that it's actually admired. It's rewarded. Uh, some of you might know the story of Doctor Faustus, who was a you know a doctor. He studied law, he medicine, theology, and yet no matter what he, how much he studied, he was always dissatisfied. Uh, that you know he couldn't do everything that he wanted to do. He wanted to be something greater. He wanted to be something bigger. He chaffed chaffed the limitations uh, that life put around him. And so he finally comes up with, you know, he makes a deal, a pact with the devil that allows him to act and work, be like God for the next 24 years. He can do whatever he wants. He can live without limits. Uh, He can be in control, as it were. And yet at the end of 24 years, the payback is that he will have damnation. And that's the pact he makes with his de- with the devil. And yet today, that's so often something that we ourselves do. Ask, you know, so sometimes unconsciously, uh, we have now got into that life where we're caught up uh, in a way of life that in, instead of being happy with what God has for us, with the limits that God's placed around us, uh, with what plans that God has for our life, we want to be God of our lives. And uh, and so we don't so often even realize that this is a sin that we have, right? We don't realize it as pride as what it really is. Uh, because we think that, you know, it's instead of, we're taking things in our hands and we don't look at that as pride, but we look at it as being wise, doing what uh, we want. And yet scripture would remind us that whenever we take matters into our own hands, when we step out beyond what God has for us, when we want to be king of our castle, as it were, then at the end of it, there's always damnation. And the challenge we have also with this is that to differentiate between ambition uh, and aspiration, right? So uh, it's good as Christians, just this morning in one of my devotions, I was reading from Proverbs and it talks about sloth, right? And it warns us against sloth, right? So we are not to be lazy. We are not to be satisfied, as it were, with the status quo. Uh, We we need to do our work with excellence. Uh, And yet at the same time, uh, and as Paul says, I've got my eye on the goal. I'm pressing forward. And yet at the same times, the same energies that make for aspiration, when we remove God from the picture, uh, we end up with this unruly arrogance, this misplaced ambition. uh Robert Browning said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or else what is heaven for but when we uh but what the psalmist here is talking about is ambition that's gone crazy, aspiration that's channeled into the Lord's path into what God would have for us it allows the Holy Spirit to shape us. But when we step out and we take charge, then we end up uh, being like the Psalmist and we want to then live and rule the roost. Being a Christian today and a believer means that we live our life on God's terms. We live in the place, as Paul says, where he in the time and the place that he has made us for and placed us in. It means accepting the terms of creation and accepting God as our maker, our redeemer, and let allowing him to change us from glory to glory each day. If we reject that, then we end up making God in our image and uh, with the consequences that follow. And so the psalmist says, as he looks at it, he says, I will not try to run my own life, all the lives of others. That's God's business. I will not pretend to invent the meaning of the universe. I won't be the king of the castle. So, that's the first uh, thing that the psalm talks talks to us about. The second is that he says, well, if we're not to be proud, what does that mean? Does that mean that we go to the other extreme? That we allow everyone to walk over us? uh, That we don't stand up at all? Are we cringing? Are we insecure? No, that's not what the psalmist says. Having realized the danger of pride, we also have the other extreme, which is the danger of thinking too little about ourselves. Sometimes we think that, uh, you know, since pride is the greatest temptation that we have as Christians, the opposite is to think of ourselves as to be nothing. Uh, And so we end up, you know, we'll be a doormat or we, you know, uh, we'll be, you know, and that would be, you know, being a saint, but uh, that's not what the Psalm is saying here. He's not saying that, you know, he will, uh, you know, compensate for his poor life by just clinging to God uh, and dreaming of the luxuries of heaven. It's not that we of so, you know, uh, so much uh, heavenly minded that we are of, earthly, no, of no use earthly. Uh, what the psalmist here is saying that God, uh, our Christian faith is not a neurotic dependency on God, but it's a childlike trust. And there's a difference, a subtle difference between that. We don't have a God who forever indulges our whims, but a God with whom we trust our destiny. The Christian is not to be a naive infant uh, uh, who falls apart, who needs to be constantly uh, comforted and protected and uh, catered for, but a person who's strong, who's found their identity in God and to what God has called them to do. We don't cling to God desperately out of fear and panic uh, or insecurity, but we come to him in faith and love. And there's a difference in that. That's why the Lord, even when you remember talking to his disciples, he gave them the image of a child. And he says, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this, unless you become like a child. Uh, And what he's talking about, there's not the helplessness of a child, but the willingness of a child to be led uh, to be taught to be blessed by god god has not you know i have a dog and you know well i don't know who's trained whom but at the end of the day you give a treat and she will do this she wants a treat she will come and stand there and we know exactly what we, she wants god hasn't trained us that way it's not a set uh, set of uh you know automatic responses to each other right But there's a dignity in our relationship with him and we're free. And he wants us to come to him joyfully. He wants us to come to receive of him. But more than that, of the blessings at him, he wants us to want him himself. And the Psalms basically is talking about that. It's talking about a relationship that is attractive. Uh, And uh, in the the Jerusalem Bible, they translate this verse as basically... uh, Enough for me to keep my soul tranquil and quiet like a child in its mother's arms. As content as a child that has been weaned. And that's the key phrase over here. Child that has been weaned. The Christian is one who has been weaned. Not like an infant crying loudly uh, every time it's hungry. But a weaned child who's just happy to rest by his or her mother's side. Happy to be with his mother. The desire now is not between them, but, uh, but he knows that his mother knows his needs and, and you, at the right time he will be provided for. And we to get into that relationship with God. We're not coming because, oh God, I need something now, but I'm with you. I want to be with you knowing that you know my needs long before even I know them and you will provide and you will take care of me. And therefore, I can enjoy your presence and your company. And that's what it means to be weaned. A small child cries every time it's hungry and it sees his mother as its source of food. But gradually that breaking off has to happen. And that transition, as we know, any of us who have children know, that, that transition is not uh, you know, painless. There's crying, there's weeping. Why is my mother not giving me uh, what she's always given me? But the mother knows that the child needs to grow up. And it needs to move to solid food and it need, that relationship needs to change. And so often as our Christians too, when we first come to Christ, we come to him in a time of crisis and God meets us in his mercy and he answers our prayers in miraculous ways. Uh, but as our walk with the Lord grows, the Lord wants to transition us to being a weaned child. And sometimes in that journey, we feel, oh, God has abandoned us now. Why is he not responding as he did before? It's because it's not that he's not taking care of us, but it's because he wants us to move from that relationship of simply crying out every time we need something to being in that relationship. We enjoy him. We trust him. We know we know the father's heart. We know that he will take care and not allow anything into our life that is not absolutely necessary for our good. And so we're able to sit quietly, as the psalmist says, uh, as a child that's been weaned. And we're not no longer neurotically dependent on God, but we trust him. We're enjoying his presence. We're enjoying his company. And that's really what the psalm is talking about. God hasn't abandoned us. And if we're in that place today, any one of us who's feeling, you know, why is God not coming through for me right now? Perhaps it's just in that place to understand that God's very much there. He's, He's never moved away. He's as close as he's always been. But he wants us to be able to confidently rest and trust in him and trust his heart. And so that's why the psalmist can end with that. And he says, wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. Israel, trust God. Choose to be with him. Let's choose his presence. Aspire to his ways. Respond with love. Because at the same confidence that Israel had, we too can have when Charles Spurgeon preached this psalm, he said it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn, because I know in my own life we I always seem to be vacillating between these two extremes when a crisis comes, either I want to take charge and run with it, or I throw up my hands in panic, and i you know I sit back and, like a wailing child, I am completely overwhelmed, and so either I am you know a rebellious sort of king of the castle or I'm a whining child. But the psalmist would encourage us this morning to let's find that middle path. To let's trust God uh, and to have that quiet part of Christian humility. Perhaps this morning we too need pruning to cut back to our roots, to learn from the psalm and discover the quietness of being a wean child, the tranquility of maturing trust. It's such a short psalm that so often we tend to even overlook it. But for all of its brevity, I believe this morning that it's a word that we need because it's a challenge that each one of us on our journey faces, uh, no matter how old or young we may be. And so my prayer for us this morning is that like the psalmist, we would be able to say, uh, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in my mother's arms. So Lord, my soul is content. May God bless his word. Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. We trust you Lord, that it is your word for your people. And we pray that your word would do what only your word can. Lord, I pray that this word would be an encouragement to each one on the call, Lord. And that wherever we are, Lord, we too would like the Psalmist be able to say that we are a child weaned, comfortable, on our mother's breast. We give you thanks for who you are and that you are the same unchanging God day after day. In Jesus name, amen.